somewhat of a different introduction than I have intended to share. For those of you who were here Wednesday night, I shared a little bit of this, and I just feel like it's appropriate to share again before I really get into the message this morning. Jan read a quote to me out of a book by C.S. Lewis, and the name of the book is Grief Observed. And C.S. Lewis brings attention to something that, again, I just feel like I need to share with you as a matter of introduction. He tells us that our idea of God has to be shattered. Our idea of God has to be shattered not only once, but many, many times. And it's one of God's purposes to shatter the ideas that we once held about him. Because until we find ourselves willing, ready, and acknowledging that that's true, that we will stand in defense of those old ideas, putting a parenthesis around them saying, somehow I have figured out God, refusing to recognize that he is totally infinite, and that our understanding of him, if we will let him, will constantly grow. That God has a desire to shatter our ideas and our concepts of him. The illustration that C.S. Lewis uses is absolutely the most dynamic that could be used. Throughout the Old Testament, conceptually there was an understanding of God. They felt like they knew him. They felt like they had him so figured out that they could actually capture his heart by writing these 700 plus laws that we find in the Torah and the Talmud. So on this very unusual day in Bethlehem, when God shows up as a baby, when everything conceptually that they had believed was that God was coming as a king, that the Messiah was coming on a horse, that the Messiah would come and he would become their military leader, their governmental leader, and they believed that that's who Jesus would be. So when Jesus came as a baby, everything that they had in their mind had to be shattered to accept the reality of Jesus the baby. And they couldn't do it. There were some, however, that came around that manger, there were some who came to that cave recognizing that this is the Messiah. And over the course of 33 plus years, 33 and a half years, that number grew. And they began to see this man who was walking and talking and teaching, but still in their minds conceptually, they were asking him, when are you going to take over? When are you going to be king? When are you going to come in this dominant position? So what do you think happened in their minds when all of a sudden... Standing before a cross, he's dead. Once again, everything in their mind had to be shattered. And they're standing there in bewilderment, thinking, I had this figured out. And here's the reality of Jesus now dead. Three days later, what do you think happens in their mind when they see Jesus again and he's alive again? Their minds had to be shattered. Now they're thinking, they come to Jesus and say, now it's time. Now you have shown your dominance. Now you've shown who you are. And now you can become the king. Now you can take over. Strangely, 50 days later, what happens? He disappears. He leaves. Again, their mindset has to be shattered. How strange the words had to come. 
When Jesus said to them, I'm going away, but I'm going to send the invisible version of God not to come and talk to you. I'm going to send him to come live in you. And I want to tell you that mindset right there is one that people are still struggling with today. Still having a hard time accepting all along the way, all along this journey, God has been shattering what we thought we knew about him so that our hearts could be open to the reality of who he is. And I share this this morning because as God put it on my heart, someone here this morning, if not many, desperately need a new view of God because there's such penetrating why on my heart. God, why? God, how? God, when? And we come with those penetrating questions We come with those things that they just pound us and God says, but what I so badly want you to know, I want you to know that I am a God of absolute good. I'm a God of absolute kindness. I could not love you more. I need for you to know that this morning. God telling us, I need for you to know. I need for your mindset of me. If you think in any form or fashion that I'm mean, if you think in any form or fashion I'm out to get revenge, if you think in any form or fashion that I don't care, then I, need, I want you badly this morning for your mindset to be shattered so that you can see me for who I truly am. I hope this morning God is still confusing to you. I hope this morning there hasn't been a single ounce of amazement ever lost when you consider who God is. I hope today you are as fascinated with who he is as you have ever been. God put a stirring in me this morning. The message is going to speak to it, but it's coming out first. God is saying, if you have ever been closer to me than you are right now, come back to the well. Come back to me. If I once had you separated from alcohol and now alcohol is back in your life, come back to me. If I have freed you from drugs and I have freed you from that bondage and now it's kind of creeping back in, come back today. If pornography was a part of your life and and he took it away and now it's creeping back in, come back to me. If you have been angry at someone but it had gotten better and you find yourself angry again, God's saying, come back to me. Come back. I'm not a God who's keeping count. If you turn to me, I'm standing here with my arms wide open. Come back to me. If you know today that you are standing somewhere and you're just not where you need to be. God is saying, my arms are so wide open, I want you to come home so much. I am a God of miracles. I sit here and look at Lazarus and as Crystal sits there and just holds him and rocks him, I guarantee you that child who is a miracle within God's blessings, that child doesn't have a care in the world. Why? Because his mother has him. I want us to live that way. I want us to be able to live knowing that God has us. I don't know what your concept of God is this morning. But Lord, I just speak to you this morning and ask, across this body, from person to person and from heart to heart, that you begin a work this morning to just bringing people back to you. Drift it maybe even just a little ways, but bring them back. Lord, I don't know how to say it. I don't even know how to do it. I just ask by the work of the Holy Spirit that you just touch individual hearts right in this moment with this resonating truth that you love us. And nothing, absolutely nothing, is going to change that. The circumstances, Lord, that some of the people in here are facing, the questions that are on their heart, I know, Lord, that they're wondering, where are you? What are you doing? And, Lord, the why is just kind of rising up this morning. And I don't know. I just see it. And I'm praying, Lord, that you would calm every why. 
Let them have a new view of you this morning. Let them recognize that maybe what they were thinking about you wasn't right. And let them have a new look. And I speak it in Jesus' name. As I begin to get into the message this morning, I need to talk to you first of all about how we as the church relate to the Old Testament. I teach the Old Testament a lot. I love the stories. I love the pictures. I love the Old Testament. It's the way I learn, and God blesses my study there. That's the way I see pictures, and he brings truth to it. But we also know that the Old Testament had a focus. The Old Testament had a, was addressed largely to the Jews, to Israel, and to God's chosen people. So how do we then adopt? How do we accept what God is teaching them and make it relevant to you and I today? I want to talk about that briefly because I'm going to speak to you this morning from Isaiah chapter 49. If you want to turn there, that's going to be the text that I'm going to use this morning, Isaiah chapter 49. But I want us to recognize in that passage that God is speaking to the Jews about their relationship. But I also want us to recognize that it is powerfully true to us. That we don't have to condition it, we don't have to bring reservation to it, we don't have to change it because he's speaking those same words to us. I know you're in Isaiah 49, but I'm going to begin this morning just with a brief passage out of the book of Romans chapter 11. I'm just going to share this passage. For if God, this is verse 21, Romans 11 verse 21, for if God spared not the natural branches, now he's talking about Israel there, for if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not you. He's talking now to the church. He's giving this warning to you and to me. He's saying if he was willing to cut off the natural branches because they wouldn't produce fruit, please be mindful, church, that he's also mindful of you in the same way. Verse 22. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell. Severity, Israel, but toward thee, the church, goodness. And he says, if thou continue in his goodness... Otherwise, thou also shalt be cut off. A warning to you and I today. And they also, again speaking of Israel, if they abide not still in unbelief, if they would repent, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So the branches that he cut off, he says, I'm willing and ready to graft those branches back in. For if they were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, the church, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, Israel, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? The message here that I want us to recognize is that the church is not a replacement for Israel. It's not a substitute for Israel. It is a branch that has been grafted in to the exact same tree. Why does it make any difference? Because what God established in the Old Testament that would feed the tree. What God established in the Old Testament that would give nutrition to the tree, that would make the tree grow and produce fruit, since we're grafted in, all of that nu- the nutrition that he's giving, all the support, everything that he's giving to the tree is now flowing directly into the church because we are a branch grafted in. Now, if we were a different tree, I could say, well, as a different tree, we need different nutrients. We need different help. We need different support. That's not the picture. We're the exact same tree, a new branch grafted in. So everything he tells us in the Old Testament about Israel also feeds us, 
also becomes our foundation. It's truth relevant to the church today. So when we come to a passage like Isaiah 49 that is very specifically talking about Israel, we can understand that everything he intended for Israel to gain, everything that he needed for Israel to know about their future, he now is bringing as relevant truth to us. Don't discount the Old Testament but simply because it was addressing Israel and its history. It's also addressing the church and what God has planned for us. This passage in Isaiah 49 needs badly to be spoken over the church. I have been addressing over the last few weeks what it means to leave our past behind and step into God's future. What it means, how do we separate ourselves from our past? I used the story, if you remember, of the rich young ruler and Jesus looking at him, loved him. Jesus beholding him, loved him. Said, yes, you've kept the commandments, but there's one thing you need. There's only one thing you lack because this is my promise. If you can do this one thing, I will give you treasures in heaven. Take up your cross, follow me, and I will give you treasures in heaven. But Jesus said you lack one thing, just one. You've got to be willing to lay down your past, whether it was full of success or full of failure. You've got to be willing to separate and segregate your past, all the goodness that you've ever done, all the things that you've ever accomplished, or all the miserable failure that you've ever been, for you to step into the future that I have for you. For you to go with me on the journey that I have planned, you've got to be willing to let your past. And the conversation that morning was what happens when our past buries our future. And it can happen for multitude and many reasons, but it happens. Our past buries our future. And as Christians, that is not who we're designed to be. We're designed to be people whose future, the one that God has established for us, that is already there, that is fully and 100% in place, that future is designed to bury our past even yesterday. The goodness of God before us, the plan of God, which he says is wonderful. He knows the plans he has for us and that they are good. He has a future set in front of us and he's saying, but you lack one thing. Can you separate yourself from that past to step into that future? And I will tell you factually and sadly, most people can't. Because that past identifies them, that past roots them, gives them sustenance, gives them strength. They're getting something out of it or they'd have walked away from it a long time ago. Most people can't say no to the past, to say yes to the future that God has clearly set before. The rich young ruler, his past was full of success. It wouldn't have mattered if it would have been full of failure. Because Jesus says either way, for you to step into what I have in front of you, You've got to be willing to set that past behind you. We've talked a lot about stepping into that future. Now, this morning, Isaiah 49, 100% addresses the future. It hits those hearts that say yes, because God has a desire, and it's an overwhelming one. Because when we read the Bible, especially when we read in the New Testament about Jesus touching someone who is blind and they see again, and someone who is lame and they walk again, or the woman who comes to the well and she leaves forgiven and transformed and whole. Or the leper. It doesn't matter. Every time we see Jesus, 
We become witnesses of His greatness. We become witnesses of His majesty. We become witnesses of all that He planned to do, everything He wanted to teach, everything He wanted to establish. We become witnesses. And God is saying this morning, I don't want you to be a spectator anymore. I want to pull you into the game. I want you to come out of the stands. You've been watching for a long time. You believe that it's true. I want to engage you in the story. And I want to tell you, it is a celebration when we see someone who comes out of the stands as a spectator and joins the game. That is good news. It's recognizable. I can look across this auditorium and see so many of you, so many this morning, who came out of the stands a month ago or two months ago or two years ago, away from the mindset, away from the struggles, away from the addictions, away from the chronic problems, to say, I'm coming before God because I don't want to be on the sideline anymore. I don't want to be a spectator anymore. I want in the game. God put me in the game. And I love watching it happen. It is fun to watch. It's painful sometimes, but it is fun to watch. Janet, on one of the cards written to me, there were so many and they were wonderful. Janet put in her card something that just rocked me. It was personal, it was a compliment, but she wrote in her, she said, you restored my faith. I love that statement. But you know the most exciting part? If you spend a minute getting to know Janet, you recognize that she is a powerful player in this game. There was probably a time in her life, I know her well enough and we've had enough conversations, there was probably a time in her life when she'd gone to the stands and had been a spectator for a while. But I want to tell you, Janet is in the game. There's a fascination about her. Janet sees things that nobody else can see. She and Beverly, and there's a few in here that just see things that, that just blow my mind. I love the reality of the fact that God can startle us so badly. And I look around the room and I could go person by person and I could talk about God's bringing you back in the game. But there are some this morning here, many that aren't, that are still spectators, trying to understand, trying to get their heart around something or maybe still attached to the past. And God's saying, really would like to call you into the game. I'd like to engage you in this story because I really would like to use your hands to touch with. I'd love to use your feet to go with. I'd love to use your heart to love with. I'd love to be able to use your eyes to see or your ears to hear. And God's saying, love to call you back in the game. Because he didn't design us to be spectators even though we get the beauty of it. We see it unfold in front of us. We were designed to participate. I'm going to be reading this morning Isaiah 49, but I'm going to be reading it out of the English Standard Version. The King James just got too hard. There's too many these and thous and owls and other things in that, so this is coming this morning out of the English Standard Version because it's a little easier to read and I hope a little easier to understand. Isaiah 49, beginning with verse 1. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention. You people from afar, the Lord call me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, 
for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Thus saith the Lord, in time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, Come out, to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, on all the bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of waters will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from, from the land of Sion. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt. O earth, break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people, and he will have compassion on his afflicted. I want to tell you in those 13 verses, God made promises to Israel that are now true in us as the grafted in branch. I want us to take these one at a time, and I will go quickly. I'm not going to linger over anyone, but I want us to go one by one and hear exactly what God has said about our future if we'll step into it. If our minds can agree with him, this is what he's promised them, and this is what he promises us of deliverance, of the provision of grace, and of the release of healing. What an amazing picture. Verse 1. He says, listen, O isle, to me, and listen, you people, from afar. The Lord has called me from the wound. When did this start? When did your call begin? When was your identity given? God says, I have spoken about you. I knew you before you were born, and I established you long before you ever appeared on the face of this earth. And he says this, from the bowels of my mother, he has made mention of my name. He spoke my name. He gave me a name. The minute that I entered into the mind of God, the heart of God, long before I was ever born, He gave me an identity. He spoke over me wisdom. He spoke over Jesse, pray. He has just spoken the reality of identity. And I've just been so blessed over the last few weeks to be part of so many people coming to the understanding of what their true identity is. Because I want to tell you again this morning, Satan does not care what you do. He does not care if you're a miserable failure. He doesn't care if you're in church every week. He doesn't care if you're a millionaire and successful. He does not care as long as you don't function under the identity that God gave you. Why? Because identity produces fruit. If I, again, if, I'm, if I have an apple in my hand, where did it come from? It came from an apple tree. Satan doesn't care what you do. He has one desire, and that's to change your identity and get you to believe something about yourself that is untrue, 
Whether it be something tremendous or something awful, he doesn't care as long as he changes your identity so that the fruit that you're supposed to bear that looks like God, that comes from the Holy Spirit, is gone and whatever's left looks like something's totally distorted and nothing like him. That's why he attacks your identity and speaks of you something about you're abandoned or you're rejected or you're unwanted. He speaks that over you to make absolutely certain that you believe that so that that's what produces fruit and not the identity that he actually gave you. He gave us a glorious future even before we were born and he spoke it into our identity. He spoke it into our name. Verse 2. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand has he hid me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver he has hid me. Well, one of the unusual parts about warfare is normally there's a desire in warfare to be quiet, to not give away your position. It's about secrecy and about optimizing what you know versus what somebody knows about you. Years ago, I listened to the, an amazing series. I, we, Jan and I have it at home, but haven't watched it in a long time. It was about the Civil War. It was done on PBS, took several weeks, and it was, a, it was beautifully done. And one of the things that they mentioned was that there was a scream in the rebel army that nobody even really knows what it sounds like. But they said that when the the northern troops would begin to hear this scream, that it would cause terror inside them because of the volume and because of the nature of this scream that would rise out of soldiers of the Confederacy. I want to tell you this morning, God in, in his plan did not call us to be quiet. It says here that our mouth is the key to our victory. Our ability to share the truth, to proclaim faith, our ability to testify, our mouth. He says, he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. That is an offensive weapon. And I don't mean that my mouth is designed to offend, but my mouth is designed to be a weapon of victory. And it's designed to speak truth and love and kindness and change the world. Because our mouth is that key. We will, by our mouth, put the enemy where he belongs. If the enemy's larger, how do you stop him? It is by your mouth. It's by confession. It's by testimony. By our mouth, we will prevail in Jesus' name. His provision of protection to us and that no harm will come to us. He's made us a sharp arrow, a polished shaft, and we're held in his quiver. We are protected. But I want to tell you, we have, as Christians grown quiet and when we do speak we make lavish claims in what God is saying and I shared this I'm teaching this on Wednesday night make notice of this parable that that Jesus speaks he says the kingdom of heaven is like unto a mustard seed the smallest of all seeds and when that seed grows up it becomes the greatest of all herbs and then the bush becomes a tree and then the birds come and take residence in it I'm not going to teach that parable but please understand that that mustard seed was never designed to become a tree. That's an unnatural act. The church was designed as that mustard seed to be a healing balm. We were designed to bring healing to the nations. We were designed to bring the goodness and the kindness and the love of God to the people of the world. When we became a nation, it's what happened when religion took on an agenda and began to push its own purposes. We became a source of division instead of a healing balm to bring unity and love and compassion. 
And God says, I want to use your mouth, and it's going to be a weapon, but it is going to be one that is a weapon of love, of goodness, of kindness, of encouragement. That song, I think, is by Casting Crowns. How will the world ever know who we are simply by what we stand against? It's not what we're against that will change the world. It's what we stand for, who we stand with, whose mouth in love and justice that we release. What a difference. And he says this by our mouth that the victory is won. It's our mouth, he speaks in the scripture as a trumpet. Verse 3, and he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. God will be glorified in your life. The future that God has planned for you, that God has planned for me, that God has planned for us collectively, if we'll step into that future, let that past go, step into the future he's talking about, he says the, the most obvious thing is that, that I will be glorified. I told this to the Sunday school class this morning. If I had a glove here, no, no, no hand in it, what would I expect that glove to be able to do? Nothing. But the minute that I slide my hand up into that glove, what's it capable of? Everything that my hand can do. It becomes a great reflection, a great testimony of the power, the strength, and the agility of my hand. How effective are we? What can we produce without the Holy Spirit in us? We are as useless as the glove. But what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and fills the full capacity of who we are? Then we become the walking testimony, the evidence of all that the Holy Spirit can do. But the glove is missing something or doesn't have something that I have. We sing this song, Yes, Lord, Yes. That is a little bit theologically incorrect because I can't tell the Holy Spirit yes. Because if if the Holy Spirit slips up in me as my hand does the glove, then automatically and instantly, my life, the glove, is going to be a reflection of what's inside of it. I only have the capacity to tell the Holy Spirit no. The yes is automatic. If I don't tell him no, he's going to function as the Holy Spirit and my life is going to become the evidence of that. I don't have to tell him yes. The yes is the natural answer. The yes is formed in us. I have to take the initiative to tell him no. I have to shut him down or he's going to function absolutely as the Holy Spirit functions. He's going to do what my hand would do in the glove. Everything that my hand is capable of. Verse 4, then I said I have labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my judgment is with the Lord in my work. This is God saying, I don't care what the evidence has been. I don't care what it looks like around you. I don't care how much you've done in obedience and you sit here and say there's nothing happening. This morning, I don't mind telling you, personally, I would love for this sanctuary to be full. I would love for the work of, this, of, of you and, and me in this church to be uh, affecting people and that one of the outcomes of that would be that this sanctuary would be full. I would love that. But God is reminding us, he says, when you function in obedience, you can't look around and see what I'm doing. And he tells us this, that when there's no evidence of progress and things are not working well and sometimes we feel frustrated, and that's an honest truth, or we begin doubting, and that's real, we can trust one thing. God will not forget our work. Please get this picture. If you expand his kingdom one inch, he knows it. If you expand his kingdom a half an inch, 
by giving a cup of water in his name, by an act of kindness in his name, by telling the truth, by sharing love with someone, and you expand his kingdom a half inch, he notices. Nothing is forgotten. Please recognize that there is not a single thing that he's missing. It may not be producing the results that I want. It may not look like I want it to look, but he is not missing anything in the building of his kingdom. Your time at someone's bedside or your time with a couple who's struggling with their marriage, every one of those things is recognized in expanding the kingdom. He notices everything. Verse 5, And now said the Lord that formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob again to him. Though Israel be not gathered, yet shall I be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. God is the strength of Israel, and God is the strength of the church. He strengthens us physically, and we don't often recognize that. God has so designed us that we can live in an alignment spiritually, soulishly, mentally, and emotionally, and physically. He strengthens us physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and in many cases also financially. He is our strength. He has prepared us for the future that's in front of us. Verse 6, and he said, It is a light thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give you for a light to the Gentiles that you may be my salvation to the end of the earth. That is his future for us, that we would be a light and that we would bring salvation to the world. I will let him, if we will let him, God will immediately begin to bring restoration and salvation around the world. All we have to do is to silence our no and let the yes be the only answer. Verse 7, Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to him who man despises, to him who the nations abhor, to the servant of, of rulers, kings shall see and arise. Princes also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel. And he shall choose you. Please hear these words. Most of us can't even imagine being in a place in this world that because of us, kings would worship. We can't even imagine ourselves being able and a part of the reality of that a king of a nation, because of a witness, would begin to change or the princes of that nation would begin to bow their knees. But it says clearly... It doesn't matter whether you can see it or not. God has chosen you. Your future includes that. I don't know what's going to happen when Melissa sets foot in Kenya. I don't know what's going to happen. But God does. He knows the miracles. He knows the faith. He knows the witness. He knows the testimony. He knows that reality. And I don't want any of us to ever believe about ourselves that we've been somehow excluded and that God has not chosen us to change the world. If you believe that about yourself, if you make yourself that small, you're believing something about yourself that God has not said. I love taking babies like these back here. I love holding them, looking into their face and recognizing what God has done. And he speaks, you are a world changer. You have a heart. You have the life. You have the ministry of changing the world. Where did that get beaten out of us? Who told us that we couldn't? Who told us that we wouldn't? I want to assure you that that is not God who has narrowed your view of yourself. That is someone else. That is someone else's voice. Because God's future says, you're bigger than that. You're as big as I've made you to be. Verse 8. 
Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in a day of salvation have I helped you. I will preserve you and give you for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause the desolate heritages. He will hear our prayers. He will be ever present, and he will preserve us. Verse 9, that you may also say to the prisoners, please listen to this, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth. To them that are in darkness, show yourself. They shall feed in the ways, and their pasture shall be in, in high places. How desperately we need to hear the voice of believers saying to the prisoners that are bound in chains and broken by bondage to come forth. If we don't say it, who's going to say it to them? If we don't say to those who are in chains, if we don't say to those who are in bondage, if we don't say to those that are held, come forth, whose voice is going to tell them? If we don't love, if, if our arms aren't open, and if we're not calling those in chains forth, where's their freedom going to come? I was on the phone yesterday with someone, and they had done so much trying to help this young woman, trying to give her, to love her, to show great favor to her, and they had just gone so far out of their way to engage this young woman and bring her heart back to them. And I told them, I said, she will never come back. She will never return until, and my mind goes to Wallace as he screams in Scotland, you know, they may take my life, but they won't take my freedom. I want to tell you, until freedom becomes the scream, until freedom becomes the desire, the captive won't be free. But the minute that they scream freedom, who's going to be standing there to say, come forth? If we don't, if we as a church don't recognize that we are the message of freedom to a world in bondage, Who's going to offer freedom? And boy, there's a lot out there offering it. If you'll just get physically attractive enough, if you'll just drink enough, if you'll just take enough drugs, if you'll just make enough money, then you'll be free. And I want to tell you, every one of them has tried. Over and over they're tried to try to find that freedom that we're looking for because the church has grown extremely quiet in saying to the slave, to say to the one in bondage, come forth. To the ones who are hidden, show yourself. By our hands, prisoners of darkness are designed to be free. Those who are willing and those who are ready. Verse 10, 11, and 12. They shall not hunger nor thirst, neither shall the heat nor the sun smite them. For he that has mercy on them shall lead them. Even by the springs of water shall he guide them. And I will make all my mountains away, and my highway shall be exalted. Behold, these shall come forth, and see these from the north and from the west. The challenge of mountains will become the way that many pass and come to him. People will come from afar. Please remember, he's speaking of our future. People will come from afar and, and they'll come from near to see what God is doing in your life. The prophecy spoken over this body will become evident. So what about today? Where does this leave us today? I want to give you about five or six things that are must for us to step into that future. For us to be able to be what he just described us to be, of light and of a voice. What's it going to take today? I would tell you to start here. Begin by giving God thanks today for the absolute truth that he has established you and that he's established us. That my future is not based on me. I would tell you today, that if we're going to step into that, then we have to start giving thanks to God for the future that seems so uncertain. That we're going to have to start giving God thanks for the future that's before us, even though I don't have a clue what's out there in front of me. 
Because until we learn to be grateful for the uncertainty of that future, we're going to be hesitant, fearful, and doubtful of it and never embrace it because we're so familiar with the present that we're currently in. I would tell you today, also, if you're not saved, if you're not already on this journey and blessing, I would tell you today to find someone. Come to me. Come to someone that you trust. Let them tell you what the Bible says, what Jesus says about salvation. The third one, just speak before God those things that you're the most afraid to say. For you to step into that future, you're going to have to get real honest with God. Say the things that you're the most afraid to say. Tell him that you're sorry. Tell him that your heart is broken. Tell him that you're addicted. Tell him that you're lost. Tell him that you're afraid. Whatever you're the most afraid to say, say it to him. Number four, and I wish this one would happen. We are a church blessed by prophecy. There has been prophecy spoken over this body on at least two occasions. And over many of us sitting here individually, prophecy has been spoken. And it's so strange how hard it is for us to embrace the prophecy, God's word, over us. If we're going to step into the future that God has for us, we're going to have to begin to accept the prophecies already spoken and agree with the mind of Christ. If he's spoken a prophecy over you, let that become your resounding truth. I don't care if you can see it. I don't care if you even have a glimpse of it. If he's spoken a prophecy over you, you begin to register that in your mind and according to the mind of Christ as to being more true than anything else you can see. And begin to proclaim that as, as faith, in faith, proclaim that prophecy, proclaim that truth. I tell you what, the prophecies have spoken over this church, of the impact that this church would make around the world, I can't see it. But I want to tell you it's the most relevant truth on my heart, or I wouldn't stand here week after week. I wouldn't stand under the anointing of God, preaching what I preach and encouraging what I encourage about the future. I do it because as Beverly saw in a revelation, it's spoken over me a long time ago that she said, you know, because my heart was, I'd like to see everybody get on the train at once. I'd like for the whole church to rise up with this amazing response to the Holy Spirit. I'd love to see it happen at once. And Beverly came to me about a revelation and said, Randy, I see this train. And every time it comes into the station, one or two get on. And I tell you what, it brought a great deal of contentment for God to teach me and show me through her. What I would like to see was the mask get on, but every time we pull into this station, week after week, somebody gets on. Somebody gets it. Somebody believes something about God they hadn't believed before. Somebody's life has changed. Somebody understands, and I live on that revelation. In some cases, the simple reality is you need to get over yourself. Forgive yourself and just see what God sees. Quit hanging on. My goodness. Quit hanging on to some of, the, some of the garbage that we hang on to that defines us. I can just share as a, as a personal word of testimony. When you are elected to the city council when you're 18 or 19 years old and you become mayor when you're 20 or 21, there's just many, many ways in those years to become unpopular. To leave that and get on the school board and take some of the stands that I took, I want to tell you it's pretty easy to get unpopular. I hear things about myself. I know people's views of me. And I can tell you with all honesty this morning, with all sincerity, most of the stuff back there I can't even remember. That God has released it so far from me, I can't even remember it. But the stuff that I can remember, there is nothing about this in me. I'm, there is no glory in this for me. But I'll tell you this morning, 
there's not a single person that I hold a grudge against. There's not a single person in this town or around me that I have ill feelings toward. Not a one. And I know that's not me. I'm vindictive. I like revenge. That was me for so long. God has taken me down such a journey and, and through so many valleys and back up to the mountaintops that I realize today that every grudge I hold, every bitterness that I might feel, tears me down. I just don't have a desire to do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. I can't hold on to that stuff anymore. I'm not sure if I got over myself. It sounds like maybe that's what it was, but I tell you what, we need to get over ourselves. We draw conclusions that people are against us. We draw conclusions that people hate us. And, you know, Mike Mother said, told me one time, he said, Randy, I think you relish the fact that people don't like you a little bit too much. And boy, when he said it, it's like, oh, that was true. Sometimes we just have to get over ourselves. Accept the full provision that God has set before you. There's nothing left that he hadn't given. Accept it. And then the last one. Engage God in your life or let God engage you in his. Get out of the stands. Quit being a spectator and say before the Lord today, Lord, here I am. You speak, I'm going to be instantly obedient. You show, I'm going to follow. You lead, I'm there. I'm going to fully engage my life in yours because I have no greater desire than to step into the future even though I have no clue what it looks like. I don't know how long it'll last. I don't know when you're coming. I don't know when I'm leaving. But whatever time is left, that future is yours. I want it all. I want everything in the future that you want to possibly show me, give me, or use me. I want to do it all. I've been spectating a long time. I've gone to the couch I've gone to my recliner, I've gone home, and God, no more. Here I am, fully engaged in life. Verse 13, I'll end with this. Sing, O heavens, and be joyful. O earth, and break forth into singing. O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy upon his afflicted. In two weeks, I'm going to continue this message out of Isaiah 49 because there's more to this about our future than what we can just get in in one time. So in two weeks, we're going to continue this message. I'm going to pray over us this morning and about the future that God has for us. Lord, I just speak over this body, the reality of your future, praying, Lord, that we would embrace it, leaving the past behind, saying, Lord, whatever you have in front of us, whatever it looks like, by faith I proclaim that I am in the middle of it. By the work of the Holy Spirit, I'll be obedient. I'll hear your voice and I'll respond. I just thank you, Lord, this morning that you have brought such clarity to what you're speaking over us and who we're designed to be, a light, a voice, setting captives free, comforters, healers, ministers of faith, proclaiming the truth, all wrapped up in the identity that you've given us, individually and collectively, as your body. I pray, Lord, we would open our hearts this morning and embrace it, saying yes to the future. In Jesus' name, amen.